0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's so great to know that we don't go through this world on our own, that You never leave us or forsake us, and that we have those everlasting arms always to lean on. We can always depend upon Your phenomenal grace. And now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Another good job. I have a few announcements this morning. First of all, it always grieves us when we have one of our mitts that leaves, and that's the case with Irene Greeley. Our beloved Irene Greeley is moving to Colorado, Right? And I believe this is going to be her last Sunday. So, y'all want to be sure to uh, say goodbye to her and wish her well. However, uh, we're going to have Bible class Tuesday, and I think Irene is going to be here, hopefully, because we plan a little special thing afterwards for her. So, if you want to come uh, Tuesday, you can be a part of that. Also, I failed to put in the bulletin that this Friday is Fun Friday, and if you haven't been to Fun Friday, then you're just missing out on the fun. starts at 6.30, and there's always uh, plenty of things to eat. It's not an official sit-down meal, but there are many goodies. So we have a lot of fun. It starts at 6.30 Friday. One other thing that's going to be happening this week on Thursday, uh, Moses Amwabiko is going to be here. I have that in your bulletin. And... He is a phenomenal world uh, traveler. He's an evangelist, and he's a wonderful speaker, and he's going to be here. So I hope that you will be able to be here Thursday uh, to uh, hear him speak and support him in that way. Okay, I think that's uh, most of it. Oh, yes, there's a a Logos class on August the 4th at 3 p.m. That's on a Saturday for those of you who have uh, that software. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of naming privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You are in charge, that You are in control of all things, that You love us, You give us that grace that is always sufficient. We thank You for providing us with this time, this place, everything that we need in order to grow in grace and knowledge and to be good servants for the most high. So we pray that You will help us to focus this morning, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're continuing this morning with our review on Joshua. That would be Joshua chapter 9. But don't turn to Joshua chapter 9. Not yet. Turn to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. We're going to be covering some narrative this morning. Narrative is, some people would say, well, it's teaching in story form. But I don't like to use the word stories when it comes to Bible because Mother Goose has stories and rhymes and such. These are historical accounts, what people actually said and what they actually did. And the reason we're going to Romans chapter 15, verse 4, is to help us remember that we're not just reading pleasant stories, that there's a purpose, that God recorded these accounts. So Romans 15, verse 4 says, Now may the God who, uh, excuse me, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, this is for our encouragement, as far our instruction. You can live and learn, thus living life the hard way, going through the school of hard knocks, or you can learn and live. That means we learn from the scriptures from the lives of people who have gone before us. We can learn from them and not have to go through the school of hard knocks. We can learn and save ourselves a lot of misery. So as we're going through Joshua chapter 9, we want to remember that and focus because this isn't an exercise in just reading stories. This is God speaking to us for us to learn from those who have gone before now turn to Joshua chapter 9. We always begin the chapter with a little heading, a little pericope, and the heading for chapter 9 is deception and making oaths. That's what this chapter is all about. Deception and making oaths. We covered verse 1 and verse 2 last time. Verse 1 and verse 2, we we have the Canaanites finally concentrating their forces. They were getting picked off one by one the cities behind walls. They saw that that wasn't working, so they decided what we'll do is concentrate our forces so that we can clobber the Israelites, and one interesting fact about that is they are very much like the Arabs of our day. They are very they were very independent. Uh, there were factions within their group. Uh, they couldn't get along together with each other. but there was a common cause that united them, and that was their fear and their hatred of the Israelites. Same thing today with the Arabs. They can not get along together, but they do unite when it comes to their hatred and their um, desire to annihilate the Jews. So nothing changes under the sun, essentially, and this is what was going on back then. And then in verse 3, the subject changes completely. I think that The first two verses were there just to remind us that as Joshua was being faithful to the Lord, they had conquered two cities, Jericho and Ai, and you would think that you need to keep hitting them fast and furious. Keep them on their heels retreating, but that was not God's plan, and you'll remember that Joshua had all the people go about 25 miles away, which is quite a distance in that time, to Shechem, and there they were worshiping. And there was two mountains, and they got on each uh, half on one mountain, half on the other, and they read the law. And they spent quite a time, bit of time there worshiping. And I think the Holy Spirit was was uh, instrumental in reminding us in these first two verses of chapter 9 that while they were doing that, the enemy wasn't just sitting around waiting. They were plotting. They were scheming. They were decisive in their plans to annihilate the Jews. But that did not fluster Joshua for they were being obedient to the Lord. And when you're being obedient to the Lord, He's going to take care of all the rest. Ironically, the forces that were, were gathered to go against the Israelites weren't even used against the Israelites, at least not at first. They were going to go against the Gibeonites, and that will all come out in the wash as we continue. So in verse 3, there is a, a very uh, obvious change of subject matter. and Now it, uh, the, the subject matter has to do with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were part of the all the people of Canaan. Uh, there was uh, the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Hittites. And there was all these different groups that made up the people called the people uh, uh, that inhabited the land of Canaan. And we're going to learn as we look what happened is that there's a parallel between the Gibeonites And with Rahab. Remember Rahab? Rahab had heard about the great God of the Israelites. The one that was in Egypt and had all these plagues. And the the great Pharaoh had to submit to God's will and let his people go. The Gibeonites had heard of that just like Rahab had. And Rahab believed in the God of the Israelites, that that was the true God. And so she acted upon that. And we have the Gibeonites doing the same thing. They heard of all the conquests of the Israelites and the great God of Israel. And they knew that they were going to be on the list of cities that were going to be annihilated. And so based on what they believed about the Israelite God, they came up with a scheme. Here's another parallel between the Gibeonites and Rahab. Both of them believed in the God of the Israelites and both of them lied to save their lives. Some parallels right here. Now, the 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 lie is a little bit different with the uh, Gibeonites. Uh, Let's see, uh, verse uh, 3. Let's look at verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what he had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftfully, sneaky, clandestinely, and set out envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended. Uh, it just goes on to say that they, 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 they're going to make it appear like they came from a great distance to get there. Now, I don't know how they got their information, but they did know this, that all the lands and the, the people, the cities that were in fi, inside the confines of the land of Canaan God had commanded the, Israel, the Israelites to wipe them out, and Gibeon, city of Gibeon, was in that locale. So they thought oh, it's just going to be a matter of time that we're going to get annihilated if we don't do something about it. So they're going to concoct this story, this lie that they were. Uh, they're going to send envoys. They're going to send some uh, representatives to Joshua. And they're going to pretend that they came from a long distance, way outside the boundary of those that were dedicated to annihilation, and that they are going to go to Joshua and plead their case that they want to be part of Israel. Uh, They'll be servants of Israel because they recognize that if if they don't, that the God of Israel uh, certainly uh, will... It will take their toll if they don't do that. They could be annihilated even though they're outside that boundary if they resist Israel. And so what they're going to do by their presence and by saying that they are coming from outside that boundary, that they want to be in accord with Israel. And they're not against them. They're trying to save their lives. And by the way, this is all found in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10 through 15 gives the details. I'm just setting up the scenario here. And so, uh, verse 6, let's look at verse 6. And when these envoys, and when they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country... Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Make a treaty with us. Make an agreement with us that you won't annihilate us. But we are coming willingly. That's the idea. Uh, Let me put a map up here for just a moment to show you how close Gibeon was to where uh, Gilgal was, which was where the Israelites were encamped. Okay, here's the map. We have <clears throat> Gilgal is where the Israelites are encamped. They, they crossed the river Jordan. They defeated Jericho. They went over here and clobbered Ai, and now they're back over here. This is their headquarters. This is where they went to worship way up here while the, forces were, the Canaanite forces were uh, gathering to defeat them. Now, here is Gibeon right here. Look at that. That's not far at all. And so they were well within that area where God said, wipe them out, annihilate them. Only those countries way out in this area here would be exempt from being wiped out. So uh, they are really spinning a yarn here. They are uh, telling a whopper. And you see why the purpose is so that they won't, be wiped out. I know what some of you are saying. You know, I, don't, I don't think I blame them for doing that. But that's not the point right now. What we're going to look at, we're going to learn some really good principles here. Um, let's look at verse 6 now. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, We've come from, men, uh, men of Israel, we've come from a long distance. They want to make a covenant so, uh, and so forth. Gives them a a few more uh, details. Then in verse 8, But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? Two questions. Now they just have identified themselves as servants. We're coming here voluntarily. We don't want to get annihilated. We're outside the boundary. We're here to make a... Treaty, a covenant with you. And Joshua, though, is smart. Yeah, but who are you? Now, look how masterfully they uh, dodged the question. They don't say, well, we're the Gibeonites. They do that. Well, they're toast. They're not going to say who they are, but they repeat again. In verse 9, And they said to him, your servants have come from a very far country. He's asking, who are you? And they're saying again, we're your servants. That doesn't tell him much, does it? He doesn't know where they're from, but they avoided having to stretch the line. And if, he, if they would have given details where we're from so-and-so, then Joshua could ask more questions and maybe ferret out that they were lying, but they, they were very... Um, um, evasive at this point, and Joshua let them get by with it. They just say that they're from a far country. Uh, And the fame of the Lord your God, uh, for we have heard the report of Him and all that He did in Egypt. Verse 10, And all that He did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, uh, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Now, what they're saying there is true. That's why they're there. They heard what the God of Israel was going to do. They didn't want to get clobbered, so they came up with this scheme. And that's something that we have to be aware of. Someone that is a really good liar usually will mix truth in with the lie. It makes it more believable. And so Joshua is trying to put the th- put things together. Another thing that we see from this is that it's logical that they would do this. I mean, this is what you would expect someone to do that had heard about this. But there's something else that's very subtle here you might not notice. He's talking about Egypt, what God did at Egypt, and what He did on the other side of the Jordan with the kings that the Israelites had conquered there. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say a word about Jericho or Ai. Now, why is that? We know from verse 3 that they had heard about it, but they don't tell Joshua they heard about it. You know why? Because if they lived a long way away, they couldn't get on the Internet or on TV and get the news right away. It would take time for that information to get to them if they were a far distance away. So they act as if, well, we, we don't know anything about these other ones because we live so far. You see the, how clever these guys are? Listen, they, they just didn't fall off the turnip truck. They know how to lie. And they know how to cover it. They know how to deceive. And so in verse 11, they say, So our elders and all our inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand, and for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, "We are your servants." It's the third time you said that. Now that, now then, and make a covenant with us. So what they're saying is giving this. Some of this is true. Some of this is true, but there's a very important part that is not true. And here is the thing. There's two tests that Joshua is going to run. On these people, as far as whether they're legitimate or not, the first one that we see here in verse 11 is the logical test. Isn't it reasonable? Does it sound like this is what someone would normally do? And this is what we need to do too. When we're trying to make decisions, it might be that someone's trying to sell you something, and they they might be spinning a yarn. Also, you know, spinning a yarn means telling a tale, lying. And so you need to decide, uh, is this true or not? So you put it through your, your mind. And you think, okay, well, this sounds logical. It passes the logical test. And then he goes on in verses uh, 12 and 13, and he gives them then the empirical test. The empirical test, something you can see, something you can touch, something you can smell. All these things are also another way for us to get down to the truth. And so in verses 12 and 13, they bring bread, and it, now it's all they they left when it was uh, fresh, and now it's all crumbled up. And um, they brought wine skins, and you know they just are really masterful. They thought this out before they left to make sure that Joshua was going to buy this lie, and that's the empirical test. And so uh, they go through this this test. Look at verse. Um, 14, this one kind of threw me for a bit and then I figured it out. Verse 14, the first part. So then the men of Israel took some of the provisions. Now that part, what I thought, what do you mean they took some of the provisions? Well, it's just there's a little ellipsis here, something left out. They took the provisions and they analyzed them. They were looking at them. They took the provisions that they were talking about and they were looking at them. And they were going to make a decision based on, well, yeah, this, this, this is old. You know, these wineskins look like they've been around the block a few times. And so the only thing is that they're looking at and anal- uh, uh, doing an analysis on these things that were fabricated. And there was no way for them to know for sure that it was fabricated rather than being the, the real deal. And they, and they were telling the truth. So, uh, based on this logical test and empirical test, uh, they're going to jump into the deep end of the pool. That is, Joshua and the elders were. So, the important thing to remember is these tests can expose error, but they cannot prove truth. If, 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 the, if it wasn't logical and if they didn't have the empirical evidence, then you can pretty well weed out something as not being true. But the only problem is is that the logical test and the empirical test cannot verify truth. They can only tell you if there is something there that is error. And so what they're going to do is something that uh, they shouldn't do, something that we're familiar with. I know all of us do the same thing. Verse 14, I want you to circle verse 14, the number 14 there. They took and they took some of the provision, and look at this last part, and did not ask for counsel from the Lord. A oh, big mistake. They're making the same mistake that they made when they went against Ai. Remember? They got kind of arrogant, they got a little sloppy, and they said, We don't need to take all the guys, let's just take some of the guys. This is. Look what we did to Jericho. This is going to be a cakewalk. Yeah, well, it turned out to be a a rout. We already went over that, but what did they not do? They didn't consult God what to do about it. And here they are. You you would think after that. See, this was right after Ai. The next thing you know, you have these guys coming into camp. They say they're from a foreign country. And rather than consult the Lord, okay, what should I do in this case? I'm not sure. I'm not absolutely certain that they are who they say they are. I better go the Lord on this. No, they didn't do that. They, well, I can again. This we get into trouble every time we do this when we have this attitude. I got this covered. I don't need the Lord in this. Some people even have the misguided notion that I don't want to bother the Lord with these things. That is just as contrary to what the Bible says. We should. Be as it possibly can, we are to pray all the time we need to be uh, that that connection with God needs to be going on all the time. it is- impo- listen to this it's impossible for you to bother God with your problems huh how about that huh? Can you say that about anybody else? I mean you might be sitting by someone that is you're closer to than anybody else. but you can. Can you say that that when you take a problem to that person, or whoever you're the closest to, that they won't consider it a bother from from time to time? Of course, because we're human. Let me tell you, I'm. I'll be the the guinea pig here. I can tell you. When Carrie calls me Michael, <laughs> Michael. I, I just go, because ah, I know the freezer just broke down. The air conditioner won't run, whatever it is. And, you know, I don't have the same attitude that God does, because He says, please bring me your problems. I'm going to show my glory through your problems. Bring it on. Well, does that mean just the big things? Does that mean only when your eldest son run, ran away at 10 years old? I mean, it's talking about any time we go, to, we go to God. And so we can get sloppy in our spiritual life like they were getting sloppy. They didn't consult the Lord. This was going to be in part. Now, not only, you have to recognize, not only are they going to accept them into their midst but they're going to make an oath in the name of the Lord that they will not do what the Lord commanded them to do to the people inside that area of Canaan and wipe them out. You don't ever want to go into an oath half-cocked and out without consulting the Lord, which is what they did. In Romans chapter 14 verse 23, this is I'm going back now to a minute for us to be able to get instructions on how to determine what to do in issues that are gray. We're not not sure what we should do. We're not sure what's right, what the right thing to do is. In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, the last phrase says, Whatever is of faith, whatever is not of faith, excuse me, whatever is um, not from faith is sin. Now, you're... We all have a conscience because God gave us a conscience. And in context, what that's saying is, uh, whatever is not of sin means whenever you go against your conscience, it's a sin. Because God gave you that conscience for a reason. So one of the things that should have come into play with Joshua's decision here is his own conscience. Walking by faith is really Walking in certainty. You know, we are commanded to walk by faith. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. That doesn't mean we go blindly around trying to feel our way through life. Uh, Walking through faith means walking according to the doctrines that you have learned and in accord with your conscience. It's knowing the will of God and doing it. Walking outside of faith is walking in doubt. Many times that means that people are walking outside of faith. They don't have faith in doctrine. We call it doctrine, the principles, precepts of the Bible, because they don't know them. And furthermore, any time that you're walking outside of faith means that you're doing something against your conscience. Have any of you ever said, well, I'm going to do it, but it, but it's against my better judgment. Ever said that? Then why did you do it? Why did Joshua do it? Because feelings get involved, sloppiness with regards to our spiritual life. And it winds up always with havoc. So we have a big problem in verse 14. They didn't consult the Lord, which they could have, but they didn't. Now, verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a...